You are listening to episode 22 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 43, Break All System, 2358, September 21st. By the time we were nine days out of break-all, things had reverted to what passed for normal operations on the billy. The good news was that Mr. Voorhees was taking to his new spice locker with some amount of gusto. His approaches were restrained, but nevertheless satisfying. After being grateful for warm and filling for so long, it was gratifying to look forward to something approaching tasty as well. The bad news was that the crew was afraid anew. The afternoon study sessions had all but disappeared, and the condition of the ship was slowly degrading. Burnside and First Section continued to leave a mess on the bridge on purpose. It was so stupidly petty, it became something of a joke among the bridge watch. That was good, because otherwise it would have been demoralizing. According to standing orders, the mandatory ship's drills for gravity, hull integrity, lifeboat, and general quarters were scheduled for the day before the ratings tests. Knowing how long these drills took, I wasn't really sure how we'd schedule all of them in a single day, and I had serious reservations about the utility of announcing them in advance. Every time I tried to bring it up to Burnside, he either ignored me or denigrated my concerns. His standard response was, We've been doing this a lot longer than you have, Mr. Wong. Watch and learn. Burnside called me to the bridge at 1330. Well, Mr. Wong, are you ready to learn how we do drills on a real ship? His false camaraderie had been a hallmark of his behavior since getting underway from break-all. Maybe he'd always been that way, and I just found it that much more grating. I couldn't be sure. Pray enlighten me, Mr. Burnside, I told him. I can't wait. What's the first drill, then, Ishmael? Hull breach, I told him. He crossed to the ship's address system and punched the hull breach button. The warning klaxon was barely audible on the bridge, and I wondered what it would be like down below. He then proceeded to read the required announcement for a hull breach drill from his tablet. As soon as he was done reading, he punched the button to shut off the klaxon. See? He told me with a sneer. How long did that take? I looked at him, dumbfounded. How many people got into their protective gear? I asked. He looked at me and laughed. Even Mallory snickered. You don't think we're going to waste good suits on that, do you? He said when he'd get his humor under control. I don't know if you're aware of this, Mr. Wong, but once you use a suit, it has to be refreshed. Yes, actually, I am aware of it, I told him coldly. Then you know that refreshing costs money and we have better uses for money than wasting it on stupid drills, he answered me. He crossed to the watch log and made a notation. There. Hull breach drill complete. What's next, Mr. Wong? He had me read out the drill to be done, and then he proceeded to ignore any and all practical applications of that drill. Within less than a stand, we'd run through all the quarterly drills required by the CPJCT. After each one, he logged it in the watch log as being completed. When we got to the end, he dusted his hands and gave me his supercilious smile. That, Mr. Huang, is how you do it on a real ship. That, Mr. Burnside, is how you kill people, I told him coldly. Mallory looked startled by my outburst. What do you mean by that, Mr. Huang? Burnside asked gently. I mean that by neglecting these drills, you are dooming the crew to die should we have an actual hull breach, by preventing them from getting the practice they need to be able to find and get into their ship suits in the event that they need them. 
If the day comes when we need to abandon ship, crew members will die when they fail to get the correct boat on the correct deck in time. By taking this attitude, you are behaving in a criminally negligent manner. Well, perhaps you'd like to take this up with the captain, Mr. Huang, he asked just as gently. No, Mr. Burnside, I will take it on faith that since the captain has been sitting in the cabin all this time, listening to this travesty of quarterly drills, that he is involved in the criminal conspiracy to violate the rules and regulations under which you and he hold your licenses. Taking me down to the cabin to have him assure me of the same is unnecessary. Are you familiar with the term insubordination, Mr. Wong? He asked with a wolfish grin. Yes, Mr. Burnside, I am. Insubordination occurs when a subordinate willfully and deliberately disobeys a legal order, I said. And you do not consider this behavior insubordination, Mr. Wong? He continued. No, Mr. Burnside. It would be insubordination to refuse to answer your questions fully and accurately. The simple fact that you do not like my answers does not constitute insubordination. I kept my face perfectly straight. Furthermore, my failing to point out to you that this exercise is in violation of the rules, regulations, and common practice associated with quarterly drills might be construed as a dereliction of duty, which would open me to charges much more serious if revealed in a court of law. Mallory was taking this all in. He wasn't moving, but I could see it in his face. Burnside must have twigged that he had a witness as well, because his expression lost some of its confidence. That will be all, Mr. Huang, he said. Aye, aye, Mr. Burnside, I said, and left the bridge. I wondered if I'd survive to see Diurnia. A lot of accidents can happen in the deep dark. I put it out of my mind as best I could. There wasn't anything I could do until we got back. I'd probably already said too much, but the billy was a catastrophe that was just waiting to happen. Already had happened to Penny Davies. When I relieved Arletta for the midwatch that night, I asked her, Have the drills always been like that? She shrugged, more or less. I think he was pushing it a bit, just because you'd made such a big deal out of it. He's a menace, I grumbled. Treating drills like that is a dangerous practice. Ishmael, she said in a patient tone, he's always been a menace. He was a menace before you came. He's still a menace. And unfortunately, he's the first mate. There's not a whole lot you can do to him out here. True, I agreed. Even a boot third knows that. But I can file a complaint when we get back to Diurnia. She looked aghast. You can't! Why not, I asked. The logs are legal documents. He certified the readiness and safety of the crew in those logs, and the CPJCT specifications on drills are clear. You have to have them every 90 days. Actually hold the drills. Yes, I know, she said with a concerned look, and you're right. His slapdash approach to drills is dangerous. She looked at me carefully to make sure she had my attention. Do me a favor. Look up the pertinent chapter and verse in the CPJCT regulations. See what it says about drills. You think he's right? I asked softly. No, I think he's wrong, Ishmael, she said earnestly. But I think he's legal. It's stupid but true. Check before you do anything really rash, okay? She held me in her eyes until I had to look away. Okay, I agreed. I'll look it up on watch tonight. She smiled. Good man. And in that case, ship is on course and on target. After she'd gone, I was left sitting with the deep dark all around. Juliet was subdued, picking up on my mood, no doubt. Even the redoubtable Miss Deng had little to say. They were going over their last-minute studying, 
The deck and steward divisions would test first, and then engineering and cargo the following day, according to the published schedule. There were no cargo handlers aboard, so that part of the test would be easy. But before I could deal with the scheduling of the rest, I needed to see if what Arletta had said was true. It took the better part of a stand to excavate the pertinent appendix from the handbook, but eventually I found it. The drill needed to consist of a presentation of the correct audible alarm or signal, followed by the prescribed text, and ending with, this is a drill. Rating and evaluation of performance during the drill was left to command discretion. I read it three times in disbelief. According to the CPJCT, that travesty of crew safety had been perfectly legal. And I was sure Burnside had known it all the time. Chapter 44 Break All System 2358, September 23rd Two days later, when I relieved our letter for the evening watch, I was dizzy with lack of sleep and giddy with the results of the ratings exams. Between the watches, the testing, and the overall success rate, I felt like I was finally making a difference. Of the 14 crew, nine did a double step by going up two levels instead of one, and the other five took a solid single step. I was grinning when I came up the ladder, and my only concern was staying awake until midnight when Burnside would relieve me. We now had a ship full of people who were qualified to move on to bigger and better things, and I took some pleasure in my contribution to that. We were still 20 days from transition and another five weeks beyond that clawing back to Diurnia. Congratulations, Ishmael, Arletta said when she saw me coming. I saw the result, and it's impressive. Nothing I did, I told her. The congratulations go to people like Mr. Betts here. I turned to him and said, Congrats, Arnold. That was a big jump from Abel Spacer to Spec 2 ship handling. Thank you, sir, he said with a shy grin. I'm begging your pardon, sir. If it hadn't been for you believing in us and showing us how to do it, none of us would have even tried. So thank you, sir. Arnold looked shocked that he'd said so much at once, and even Arletta looked a little taken aback. I was flattered beyond all belief. Thank you, Mr. Betts, I said. That means a great deal. Juliet came up over the ladder, and I grinned at her. Another potential ship handler. She smiled at me and joked, It's all in the wrist. She went to take her place by the helm, and we got on with the business of changing the watch. Arletta and Arnie Betts went below for dinner, and I took a few ticks to check the log status. Things looked normal with nothing to do and no changes to course or speed in the plot for our watch, nothing for it but to sit and bask in the glow of a job well done. I heard footsteps on the ladder and saw Miss Jacobs bringing up my dinner tray. Even from across the bridge I could smell the delicate aromas of grilled fish and dill sauce and herbed rice. I was distracted by the smell and almost overlooked the floor show when Miss Jacobs leaned down to place the tray on the console beside me. There you go, Mr. Wong, she said, leaning on the console longer than she had to to make sure I got the full effect. Bon appetit. She turned and sashayed back across the deck and down the ladder, very slowly. Juliet sniffed, very loudly. You have a comment, Miss Jackson? I asked, as I unlimbered the implements of ingestion and prepared for personal refueling operations. Me, sir, she asked. Comment about what, sir? Oh, I don't know, I said flaking off a bit of the pink-fleshed fish. Market conditions, price of fuel, new messmate. Well, sir, she said, working up ahead of steam slowly. Far be it for me to pass judgment on my shipmates, sir. I know we were all concerned that she might be the latest in a long line of prey and fall victim to certain members of the ship's company who must remain unnamed. 
Indeed, Miss Jackson, I said, savoring the herbed rice and marveling at how far Mr. Voorhees had come in such a short time. And you now believe that those concerns are unfounded? Sar, that woman makes predatory take on an all-new meaning, she said. If I didn't think he'd enjoy it so much, I'd suggest we sick her on that certain member of the ship's company. My goodness, Miss Jackson, I said, I'm glad you're not one to pass judgment. I know, sir, she replied. It could get out of hand. Charlotte skipped up over the ladder and smoothly relieved Juliet for dinner. Thank you, Miss Deng. We've been comparing notes about certain new members of the ship's company. Mr. Wong seems interested in how she's fitting in. Charlotte nodded. Fitting in? Yes, sir. She's fitting in, she said. And I believe the general consensus among those who have reason to know is that she'll fit just about anything in, sir. I'd learned some weeks back not to drink coffee when Charlotte Deng was speaking. As it was, I nearly choked on a bit of rice. Not a person we need to worry about becoming an unwilling victim, then, Miss Deng? I asked, when I'd finally cleared my windpipe. No, sir, she said, with a considering tone in her voice. But I'd be leery about calling her a man-eater, sir. Really, Miss Deng? I should have known better, but she got me off-center. Yes, sir. She'll eat anybody. Thank you for that clarification, Miss Deng, I told her with what I considered heroic control. And congratulations on making Abel Spacer. Very nice job on the exam yesterday. Thank you, sir. The study sessions helped, and just knowing that we could jump grades like that made all the difference. She gave me a glance. You're a nice guy, sir. Thanks a lot. You're welcome, Miss Deng, I said, and I felt like I was blushing. What other news can you share with me? I asked after a moment. Well, sir, Miss Kramer has inherited the attentions that were once being lavished on Miss Davies, she said. She's ignoring those attentions, including the late-night invitations to a certain stateroom. Good for her, I said with feeling. It helps that she got her able messmate rating, sir. We can expect her to leave the ship in Diurnia. She's always wanted to go to one of those passenger liners. I think we'll probably lose a lot of people, won't we? I commented, blatantly fishing. It's a long trip back, sir, she replied. That's going to depend a lot on what happens between here and there, I think. Like what? I asked. Well, the food has gotten really very much better. The coffee, of course, improved almost as soon as you came aboard, sir, she started. Oh, those things have already happened, Miss Dang, I observed. You're very sharp for an officer, sir, she said. Thank you, Miss Dang, I try to keep up. Those are things that make people think it doesn't have to be the way it's always been, sir which gets into thinking about how things might get better. Do I want to know what things might get better? I asked. Probably not, sir, she said frankly. Well, given the success of the last round of testing, can we expect to see a little more participation in the afternoon sessions again? I asked. Oh, that's very possible, sir. Not just for the studying, but for the fun of it. I don't know if you're aware of it, sir, but those sessions were like a party, sort of. I hadn't noticed, Miss Deng, I said. Remind me to have Miss Jackson... Remind you to keep practicing, sir. Practicing, Miss Deng. Lying, sir. She assures me you're working on the credibility thing. You still need work, sir. Thank you for your critique, Miss Deng, I said. It's always a breath of fresh air. You're quite welcome, sir, she said. Having the ship clean and the crew working together has helped, sir, she added after a moment. We've had a bit of a shock with Miss Davies and all. We know perfectly well who's responsible, and we know none of us can ever prove it. She turned to look at me over her shoulder. That sticks in the craw of a lot of people, she said. Indeed it does, Miss Deng, I assured her. But we don't want to stoop that far. If we act like them, then we become them. I'm hoping for better. We all do, sir, 
We all do, she said. But I'm willing to let a little of that pride go myself if it means we don't have another Ms. Davies. Or Alice Stewart, I asked. Or Teresa Jaffe, she added. And it's not just a blatant and obvious example, Sar. It's the everyday pick, 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 pick. It's everywhere, Sar. Fish rots from the head, I murmured. What's that, Sar? She asked. Oh, it's an old saying, Miss Dang, I told her. Sometimes I just talk to myself for no good reason. I see, Sar, she replied. And do you answer, Sar? <laughs> Sometimes, Miss Dang, I said. I don't think you have to worry unless the answer surprised you, she observed. Thank you, Miss Dang, I said. I think I've heard that before. Juliet came back from dinner then, and we set to on the quick cleanup. In less than a stand, we had the bridge all shiny and clean again. Charlotte even ran the tray back to the galley and picked up three fresh coffees for us. When she returned and we got ready to settle down, she asked, What should I study, Sar? I shrugged. What do you want to know about? Astrogation, she said. Then try spec three and astrogation, I suggested. Why not spec two, Sar? she asked. Well, because you've never worked in astrogation and most of those concepts will be new and foreign. Try spec three and see how you do. If it seems too easy after a couple of weeks, trade up, I suggested. That's very logical, Sar, she said. I try, Miss Deng. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big C from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big C at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>